Hello and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Ariana Cascone, and I'm here today with Jason Anderson of Pro Soccer Wire to recap opening weekend of the 2023 NWSL season. How are we doing on the first Monday of the NWSL season, Jason? Uh, recovering. Um, I think I think we're all, everyone that covers the league is in a, uh, this is our regen day. Um, one, one day after a game where we're just trying to get, get our, our limbs back working again and all that, I absolutely was zonked last night but um you know there's a lot to dig into in these games so it's 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 good to reflect uh for sure because last night i certainly was not i was not equipped to reflect i had to get some sleep first yeah i totally relate to that we had the two games on saturday and then sunday was just ripe thrown into the fire with four so (laughs) six games over the weekend and there were some unexpected results right so north carolina actually bested kansas city by a one-nothing scoreline and then san diego beat chicago 3-2 thanks to a late penalty kick the washington spirit beat ol rain in their first of many games at audi field this season portland dominated orlando for nothing at home Houston and Racing played to a 0-0 draw. And then in the nightcap, Gotham beat Angel City 2-1 after VAR bailed them out a few times. So overall, Jason, what is your take on this weekend's slate of games? Uh, it was a very week one uh, set from the games that I've seen so far. I, I didn't see Houston or Portland's games due to the timing of them. I had to drive back from the stadium. But um, everything else I've seen so far, it's been... There were some rocky performances. Um, a lot of teams do maybe need to um, play themselves into their tactical blueprint. Um, so it's not a shock, though. Everyone's seen week one be not necessarily NWSL championship game caliber soccer. And that's just kind of what we all know. And for some of these teams, um, these go down as big wins um, to get three points when you're when everyone's kind of maybe short of uh there's one team in particular that i think was not in that group um <laughs> but when everyone else comes in is just kind of not them not what you think they will be down the road to get three points it matters uh we saw how tight last year's playoff race was um so yeah these points may may be bi- a big deal down the road yeah it's true points in march count the same as points in september right so um Definitely something to keep an eye on. But I agree. In general, it was very, very weak one for many of these teams. (laughs) Um, So the plan today is really just to dive into three games in particular. So I think we should just get started with the very first one, which was Washington Spirit and O.L. Reign. So were you expecting the Spirit to come away with the win in this one? Uh, I kind of had a feeling that we were looking at a draw. Um, The Reign have had some hard luck against the spirit for several years now they'll their fans will be quick to tell you about the n- number of ways that they feel like there's just different things that should have gone their way that didn't um and they're not off base in that a lot of these games have been um you know ones where the rain probably edged the game and then also come out with a loss or a draw um i kind of thought it was going to be that the spirit have been kind of upfront that it's going to take a while for them to get to where they want to be. Um, I think after the game, Mark Parsons said he felt four to eight games before they really start to hit what he thinks will be the right level. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of expected them to 
find a way to get a draw, um, probably based on individual talent, which is how they got the win. Um, Rodman scores a solo goal, um, <laughs> which is which is great for the spirit. Um, but yeah, the 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 rain are once again going to come away from this wondering what it is about the spirit against them, which is kind of a flip from old the olden days of NWSL where it was. The, very much the opposite, where the spirit would go play the rain and something terrible would happen to the spirit. They'd lose 6-2 or several 3 nothing playoff losses. So it's a it's a weird one. But I definitely thought draw, um, not necessarily... I didn't expect the game to be as scrappy as it was, I will say that. I think also the teams were surprised by how scrappy it ended up being. Yeah, I think I saw a quote by Mark Parsons in the post game where he said something to the effect of, I wanted soccer and and... Potentially the game wasn't, it was scrappy of what you were saying. Yeah, Um, yeah, I'm not sure what I expected. I I think I, yeah, I I expected potentially the game to go in the favor of the rain. I mean, they did create a lot more chances. They looked better to me overall in the buildup. I thought Jess Fishlock looked really well, looked really great in that game. She played really well. Um, And the spirit, on the other hand, their buildup was really not there. They had only 55.7% passing accuracy and that was the lowest in the NWSL since 2019 I saw Tony Mazza put that on Twitter so um it's not surprising to me that Trinity Rodman was like okay I will do this myself and score that goal um do you think that'll sustain them for if it takes you know six to eight games or however many Mark Parsons thinks it would take uh I don't I don't think this is a super replicable formula for them um because they did end up you know Aubrey Kingsbury had to make they're not necessarily they don't go down as saves um or maybe the one on Fishlock does um the early one where that header is definitely floating into the bottom corner and she just sort of levitated for a little bit longer than seemed physically possible to get over to that one um but she claimed a couple balls off of um Jordan Heidema's feet or or maybe Bethany Balser had one as well um Kingsbury had a very good game and she has been up front this preseason about like I want to play better, but I also don't want to have to play better for us to win. Um, it shouldn't necessarily be goalkeeper determined. Um, and this is a result where Rodman and, and Kingsbury are kind of, they kind of carried the team to a win, um, with some individual moments. Um, I think the spirit were a little sheepish about, um, the, the nature of the win. I, I really don't think anyone there wants to play this way. Um, I do think that they, once they got uh, a hold of the rain's tactics on the day, um, I think the spirit's position is that the rain started the the direct problem um, and making it ugly. And so they said, fine, if you're going to, after about, I think Parsons said it was um, the longest 28 minutes he's had as a coach in a long time uh, to start this match because it, the rain were all over the spirit at the start of the game. Um mm-hmm. And once they sort of figured out what changes were going to have to be made to sort of, um, you know, Mark, Mark after the game, he, he indicated that they either had to suffer under a lot of pressure or sort of do the exact same thing and maybe even do it more. Um, and that's really what happened is that the rain, they, the rain wanted to be somewhat direct and the spirit said like, okay, fine. The game is going to be like 100% direct, um, you know, 55% passing accuracy kind of says the whole thing. Like we're going to go long. Um, we're going to apply pressure from there. And if that's the game you want, so be it. Um, it was a weird one. It's not, I think 
a Mark Parsons style of game. It's not really Laura Harvey's style of game. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like no one really got what they wanted out of it, except a win for the spirit is like the one thing you can say that one of the teams would be like, well, that part was good at least. Yeah, that's true. I, I agree with that assessment uh, in general. And in terms of the game, like essentially just, you know, going so direct and, and kind of, it seems like the players are going 110% for yeah. a while. And I noticed that players were in need of treatment a lot during that game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you were there, right? It, what was the, the, I'm assuming it was very hot if players were cramping and needing it, treatment. It was a deceptively warm game. Um, normally for people that haven't been to Audi field, it's right on the bottom point of DC. And so you're at the convergence of two rivers. It's very windy. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally if you look at the forecast for DC and it says low to mid sixties with a breeze, you should assume that we're talking more of a of feels like, you know, upper 50s with wind, not a breeze. Um, and so I, I packed a hoodie. Um, when I left my house, I was like, well, it's pretty warm right now. And and um, I had a like a short sleeve shirt on and I was like, well, I'll, I'll be OK for now. But when I get down there, I'll have to put the jacket on when I get out of my car. And when I got out of my car, I was like, it feels almost like warmer now than it was before. Um, so I think there was something to that, that it was a deceptive forecast. Um, the sun was very intense. Um, I'm looking, we have this on zoom and I've got a little bit of color that I didn't have before I got to the stadium because I, I put sunblock on it. It helped a little, but not that much. Um, but I think some of it was contact. Um, there were several players that took kicks and, and other, you know, it was an intense game. Um, the intensity was high and I think some of the cramping probably comes, it probably starts with contact and then becomes a cramp later. Um, I will say that, you know, Rodman, uh, at one point, actually, I think at two points was stretching out a a cramp away from the ball. Kingsbury stayed down at one point. They came in for the post game without any, you know, they weren't walking slowly. They didn't have ice bags taped to their legs or anything. Um, so I, I think it really was just some cramping, some um, getting banged up in a super physical game. Um, but yeah, it, it was odd that the number of times, uh, the number of stoppages were just really, really high. Um, it wasn't other than I think Andy Sullivan got hit in the nose um, and had a bloody nose from that. Um, I think the rest of it was just normal soccer stuff just happening way too often. Um, it was it was a weird day. I have to say it was, it was a, one of the stranger opening games I've been to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seemed like that over the broadcast, too. But it's reassuring to hear that it was the same in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we move on from the spirit, I just wanted to circle back to uh, this idea of Kingsbury potentially not wanting to have to make the big saves all the time. Right. And. So there's been a lot of discussion about the spirit back line and, and players having to transition into new roles and center back. And so what um, what did you make of, of some new players in their back line? And, and how did you think that how do you think the transition's going? Uh, yeah, there was the surprise of one in the preseason of Tara McKeown being named as um, a, someone they were looking at as a center back this year. Um, and, and Parsons indicated that that doesn't mean she's only going to play center back this season. Um, it's just something that they wanted to examine. Um, and apparently they told her in a postseason meeting um, that it was something on the the existing coaching staff's mind. It was a project that it, it is not a Mark Parsons original. He came in and, you know, heard the proposal basically and agreed to um, carry it on. 
Um, but it was still, you know, Amber Brooks is there. It's kind of expected that the veteran would get the nod. Um, Parsons said that she suffered a little, like a lingering knock in the preseason that maybe shortened how long she could play in this game, which is why she came in off the bench. Um, Dorian Bailey has played some fullback before, so that one wasn't as much of a shock. Um, that one's pretty straightforward. Um, but yeah, Mickey Owen, that, that surprised a lot of fans. There was a, a, quite a bit of a reaction to it. Um, I think week one, she did all right. Um, the early stages of the game, I think she was, um, they were looking to play the more controlled possession oriented uh, model on the ball. And she didn't look great at that, but then no one really from the spirit did. So I, I kind of don't want to single her out. Um, it was just a, a rough half an hour for them as a collective. Um, once the game got direct, it became very much about winning battles. And that's kind of why the spirit wanted to play her as a center back in the first place is that um, she's physically gifted. She's hyper competitive. Um, she has like that never say die mentality. And when it, the game becomes about winning battles, she tends to win a lot of battles. Um, and I think once it became that simple, she started actually playing better. Um, so in, in a weird way, the badness of the game itself, the bad quality of the game may have helped her sort of, um, gain a little more comfort playing center back, um, and just having it be about, a series of battles um, because as that game wore on Jordan Heidema was getting less freedom uh, in the middle. Bethany Balser was finding uh, a le- fewer angles to get inside um, on, on Mickey own or, or on Sam stop from the other side. Um, so I think they sort of, it, it weirdly played into their favor a little bit that it ga- it wasn't as complicated a game. It was just sort of, you know, a fight. Um, and that that she's prepared for. Um, if games, if teams want to come fight the spirit, I think they're comfortable with her right now. Um, being ready for fighting. Um, it's just a matter of um refining some things that I think they're up front. She's up front, and everyone's on board that she can get there. It's going to take a little while. Um, and that I think is clear. But it's not like this isn't like. Just, oh, we decided to put a forward at center back today. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't look like that, which is a good sign. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think there were some nerves in the beginning and sort of your breakdown really contextualizes it well. She grew through the game, even if it wasn't the prettiest soccer. And obviously mm-hmm. it played into the spirit's advantage. So that's good. Um, so that seems like a wrap on the spirit. But before we move on to the next set of games, we'll just take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. And so for the second game today, we'll talk a little bit more about North Carolina and Kansas City. So in match day one, North Carolina really exceeded my personal expectations. Um, But of course, Kansas City's injury report kept all of their new midfield signings off the field. So obviously that's something to keep in mind. But what do you think we can take away from this game in North Carolina? I mean, the thing that struck me is North Carolina didn't look like the courage of old. Um, they were not as transitional. They were good in transition, but they, it wasn't like this is the whole game is just transition nonstop. Um, their positional flexibility, um, they changed formations. Um, and then within that, they had several, 
they had several formations. It just depended on what phase of the game we were talking about. Um, they brought out a sort of a three, two, two, three, uh, in build out phases with Kiki Pickett coming in as a fourth midfielder. Um, they had a stretch of the game where they were in like a three, 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 one. Um, and, and really kind of, uh, you know, Kansas City was trying to build through it and it was just, not at all what Kansas City thought they were going to be up against. And the angles they kept looking for just repeatedly weren't there. Um, and it allowed, as much as, you know, like you said, Kansas City's missing a lot of big, talented players. I have to say, based on, you know, North Carolina has some new faces that I don't know all that much about, admittedly, um, outside of this one game. Um, but if you ask me who had the more talented starting 11, I think I would have gone with Kansas City, even with their absences. Um, and so when you're a coach, part of your job is like, if I don't have as talented a team as my opponent, I have to cause them enough problems where they can't do what they do. And my team can do what we're good at. And I think from that perspective, Sean Nahas deserves a ton of credit. Um, North Carolina was playing a much more, uh, positional system than they've played in the past and they looked comfortable with it. Um, it did not look like this was day one for them. It didn't look like, oh, we've worked on this in preseason, but it's not refined yet. It looked pretty refined. Um, they should have won this game by more. Uh, I was really impressed. I agree, honestly. I watched some of the Courage's preseason match, um, the one that was streamed, and it was like alarm bells for me. I was like, uh-oh, this is not good. Their midfield looks really, mm-hmm. you know, looks bad i'll just say that the midfield looked bad the attack was all over the place and then up against kansas city i thought that you know it it seemed that night and day to be honest with you um narumi miura is a japanese international who made her debut in the courage midfield over the weekend and i really thought she was brilliant i didn't know much about her coming into the game but i think she was a big reason why the courage were able to um build out of their midfield and, mm-hmm. you know, keep finding uh, Caroline who, I mean, she's inevitable. She kept finding the space in between in behind Kansas city's back line. I thought Tyler Lucy was really great for the courage, which I, I don't mm-hmm. know if I expected. Um, maybe I think her strengths really play into the courage's strengths. Like Sean Ahas was talking after the game about how Tyler Lucy adds a little bit of bite to the courage mm-hmm. um, because Caroline has the skill and then Tyler Lucy kind of compliments that. And I think that was really on display during this game. And yeah, I mean, like you said, some of the the new players on the courage, I mean, Guile ended up scoring the first goal of the season, right? I, mm. I did not have that on my bingo card. <laughs> um, but thinking about new players, I guess, for Kansas City and North Carolina, it was a little striking to me that Kansas City's rookies started and played a ton, right? So Michelle Cooper actually played the whole 90. Um, mm. And then Alex... Alexa Spanstra, excuse me, and then Gabby Robinson or other rookies that started for Kansas City. But North Carolina didn't start any of their rookies. So only three of the four were on the game sheet and then only one, Olivia Wingate, ended up seeing time. She saw about mm. 20 minutes of time. So what do we make of of those coaching decisions? Was it sort of a, a match day one decision for Potter with all those players out? Or do you think that those players maybe would have seen minutes regardless? I mean, I think it depends on which player Cooper probably would have played. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you take the players that were out of when you take the players that Kansas City was was not just missing, but also CC Kaiser playing central midfield for much of the game. Um until I think late in the game they moved her back up front. Um but yeah, that that influences a lot. Um Gabby Robinson, I think, um uh, may have may have just won the job um based on the players that were available and unavailable. Um 
it was it was an interesting lineup for sure, but also I think anytime a team enters week one with I think it was nine players listed on the injury report, um, which is pretty it's pretty grim. Um, unfortunately, I hope a lot of those players are back soon because they're players everyone likes to watch. Um, but yeah, I think on their side it was definitely influenced just by we just don't have that many players that can play um, in this game. Um, the courage. I was a little surprised that having that many first round picks that they just didn't see that much time. But um, I, I think on some level, there's a credit to like you, you mentioned Miura. Um, we've seen players come from Japan before and, and have a little difficulty adapting because there's a language barrier. So tactical principles are harder to get across. Um, there's also just a, a physicality factor that the, the Wii league does not have. Um, you don't have, you have games played more in a controlled method. Um, you don't have a spirit rain, uh, <laughs> battle taking place in that league. Um, they just, it's just not a thing that I've ever seen in that, you know, fortunately they the games are on YouTube. If you want to go find them, that's not how it goes. Um, that's not a way things work. So, um, that's a real difficult challenge for North Carolina, but obviously, um, based on the performance, um, based on the nuance required in her role, it seemed like a great fit. Um, and, and Gail or Guile, excuse me. Um, I don't think necessarily it was a major factor outside of the goal. Um, she had some good moments, but it wasn't a continuously good performance, but still, mm-hmm. if you're a forward and you find a way to influence the game in that way, um, that's going to be very promising. And I also think when they played that three, 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 one, um, she had to kind of tuck in and drop off a little bit. Um, and, it's kind of a it's a very smart role uh that's not going to give you a lot of reward you're having to do a lot of like passing lane clogging you don't even get the tactile reward of like making a tackle necessarily um you're there to obstruct passing lanes so that eventually the ball gets turned over probably by somebody else um but she took to that really well um that phase of the game i thought she was very good so um she seems like a smart player um and it'll be a huge confidence boost to go out and get a goal right away as well um so i think the courage just everything about them the new look the new players it just seemed like in a week where everyone looked like week one they look like mid-season um which bodes really well for them because they lost so much this offseason that it would be very understandable for them to have just been in bad shape now and needing to sort of get halfway through the season before they find an identity. And instead they look like the one team that is 100% locked in on their identity. That's a great point. Yeah. And, and this identity is so different from what we've seen from the courage in the past, right? There's been no box midfield. There was no box midfield over the weekend. They Mm. experimented with that a little bit last season, but they essentially were moving away from it. I mean, last season's identity was all about crossing and, and, you know, crashing the box, essentially Carson Pickett, sending balls into the box over and over again. And they crossed four times uh, mm-hmm. on Saturday. So we can see that it's not just, you know, they're they're not just saying that it's a new era. It really does feel like that on the field too. So it's very, very uncourage. Um, it's true. But not in a bad way. Um, they are, I, I, I was fascinated enough where I'm like, you know, next week I have to make sure that I've got time to watch their game. Um Hopefully, I, don't, I haven't checked the schedule yet, but I have to make sure that I can watch it as it plays out because um, they they offered a lot. They offered a lot to really dig into. 
um, while also overcoming a team that had every reason to think of themselves as probably the favorite in this game. Yeah, I'll be watching uh, North Carolina for sure next week, too. Um, Okay, so why don't we move into our third and final game recap for this episode? So Angel City versus Gotham. So Angel City sold out their home opener for the second time in a row. Um, I mean, that's huge, right? Playing in front of a crowd like that was probably electric. Uh, but unfortunately for Angel City, they had six players on their injury report, including Kristen Press and Sydney LaRue, which they're, you know, poised, I think, to be the real gas to the attack. I mean, pending Kristen Press's return. I don't know if there's a timeline on that yet. Um, but regardless, the attack started really early in this one in the 11th minute when uh, Alyssa Thompson scored her first official goal. So do you have any main takeaways from Thompson's game after watching her debut? Anytime that Angel City can get her on the ball and facing up on goal, it's going to be a problem for anyone she plays because this was a goal where she didn't have to blow past the defenders and get in behind. Um, she used a little fake. She uses the threat of her speed to open up some space to shoot and and then produces a good shot as well. This mm-hmm. isn't just a hopeful ball towards goal. She's putting it in the top corner. Abby Smith it reaches as far as she can. She does get some fingers to it, um, but it's that far into the upper corner that she couldn't quite keep it out. Um, I think the next step for Thompson is going to be when she doesn't have the ball, um, sort of using her runs to sort of inform the midfielders what pass is required. Um, it seemed like a little bit of way she's looking for them to show where they're going to play the ball. And I think the next evolution for her is going to be when she's dictating it with the run, with her, um, the shape of her run, the body language, the, the eye hints that she can give to a teammate or use to fake out defenses. Um, but these are really high level refinement things that normally a player is getting as they're getting to be like 28, 29. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that she can do what she's doing already without, like you said, the, the players that are missing on this attack, um, she doesn't have other players that are, it's not a disrespect to the Angel City players that played in this game, um, but they're not necessarily going to strike as much fear and worry into defenses as Kristen Press is going to. Um, and so that buys when press is on the field, it's going to buy Thompson more space. Um, when Sydney LaRue is making the vertical runs, that's going to buy Thompson more space in between the lines, um, which is where she scores the goal. So, um, very impressive. Um, and also room, it, it wasn't like this is impressive. And also this is pretty much the final package. This is impressive and also room to improve. Um, which is a big deal. Um, yeah, I think. I think this was um, kind of, if if your Angel City result aside, um, you've marketed Alyssa Thompson very Thompson very heavily. Um, you're kind of making her the face of the franchise a little bit, um, which is a big risk to take for an 18 year old in a lot of ways. Um, this is about as good uh, as a a first taste of having her on the team for fans for um, for everyone watching the league. This is about as good as it could have gone from an individual perspective. The result, maybe not so much, but she goes out, she scores a goal, and it's not a scrappy goal. It's not um it's not a goal like she scored against Club America in preseason. You say, like, well, there's a step down in level there, um, 
where you can understand that maybe, and she also, she really had to beat just one defender due to the shape that Club America had in that moment. She beat the one defender and sprints away and it's, it's a great goal. Um, but it's not an NWSL goal. It's not a goal you're going to see that often in the league. This is a goal that she can replicate on a regular basis, I think, um, which is pretty alarming for the other teams in the league. I feel like. Yeah, this is, this is definitely true. It's, Fun for watchers, for viewers. Um, but your point about, you know, this like replication, I think something similar in the, in the two goals, that one in the friendly and then the one over the weekend is Thompson's just ability to face up and go at defenders, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, who they are. I think that speaks to a little bit of a maturity in her game. She's very confident. I mean, she has every reason to be. I, my stream was a little bit delayed. So I saw everyone's reactions coming through on Twitter. And then I saw the goal and I was like, holy cow, these responses are, you know, totally warranted. I was very excited for her. Um, Very good for Angel City, sort of like what you were saying. I mean, marketing her, taking her first in the draft, um, you know, she was getting her first in the draft was not inexpensive um, for Angel City. (laughs) <laughs> Almost an entire season's worth of allocation money to make right. those trades. <clears throat> so, um, <laughs> absolutely. So proving that you know, I, I'm worth I'm worth it. Here I am scoring goals right mm-hmm. 11 minutes into my debut. So really great. Um. So and then you know shortly after in the 17th minute, uh, we had the first ever goal called back due to VAR. So yeah. what did you think about that? Uh, I did not enjoy it. Um. <laughs> Uh, at all. Um, and, and the thing is, I, I, I cover MLS, so I'm very familiar with how PRO runs VAR. They're using the same protocols, the same everything. Um, in this case, they're also playing in an MLS stadium, so it's literally the equipment that is used is the same equipment. Um, and I'm, I'm bummed out one that a goal of this quality gets called back for what I view, uh, what I think is, is a mistaken call. I think they got it right. And then they made it wrong, which Mm -hmm. is the nightmare scenario for any VAR system. Um, It's bad that the goal doesn't stand just from a neutral perspective because it's a wonderful goal. Um, It's also bad that this is NWSL world. If you don't follow MLS, if you haven't seen, the PRO methodology for VAR, this is your first impression of it. And it's probably going to be negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to take a, this is a thing that's going to take a long time for people to come back from. And on the MLS side, it's actually pretty painless. Um, this sort of mistake does not happen very often. You get one or two, maybe a year where afterwards it's like, what on earth happened here? Um, but this being day one call one, uh, it's not, it's not a great feeling because I, from what we saw on the broadcast, um, there was not an angle that shows a foul by Danny Weatherholt, which is what the um, Angel City's PR team even made sure to clarify this for reporters that the call was on Danny Weatherholt. They said that she had fouled Kelly O'Hara in making that turn at midfield to feed Endo before the before she shot. Um, there's not a foul that I can see. Um, <laughs> if anything, if if there is a foul, it's Kelly O'Hara coming in because she's. She's coming in very hard to try and press the ball. Weatherholt does what you should do as a central midfielder in that moment, which is she feels where the pressure is coming from and she pivots hard to turn away from it. So you lose your defender and you, you, you don't just lose them. You really leave them behind. Mm-hmm. Um, you create space for yourself. You create a better passing angle for yourself. It's textbook midfield play. Um, it's actually a 
a great example to show like a youth player that's playing central midfield. Like if you want to turn under hard pressure, do this, do exactly what Danny Weatherholt just did. Um, If there's even contact, which I'm not convinced there's even contact. If it is contact, it's Kelly O'Hara's foot clips Weatherholt's, but Weatherholt's is like firmly planted. And as she's turning away, so you would argue that what could she do to be committing a foul there? Um, If it's contact, it's O'Hara clipping Weatherholt, which would be a foul the other way, and you'd give advantage. Um, the referee didn't signal advantage, so I think in real time his reaction was no contact at all here. There's just this is just a clean play. Um, I I will say the caveat here: I don't know that we got every angle. Um, the broadcast did not have in real time; didn't really have a useful angle for us or for the announcers. It seemed like um, later in the game they showed some more, but none of them were it's supposed to be clear and obvious and none Mm -hmm. of them showed even a, none of them showed something that was even a hint of there might be a clear and obvious angle that we didn't get. Um, That doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that as fans, uh, as media, none of us got to see it. Um, If it exists, none of us have seen it. Um, So yeah, for me, it's just, it's frustrating. Um, It's a frustrating call because the, the VAR official is an experienced MLS referee, uh, Jose Carlos Rivero. He's done this before. Um, I don't know why he called down, uh, to trigger the replay or the, the VAR. I don't know why Elahio or again, once he saw the monitor, I don't know what he saw that he's decided to overturn the goal. I'm, I'm kind of befuddled by it. Um, I, good news for Gotham, um, <laughs> that, that this is the way it went. And, and I think Lynn Williams even said bailed out by VAR. Um, I think there maybe is a sense that they got away with one. Um, and, and I will say, I will say this, um, as much as Angel City's hard done by a team with the number of veterans they had on the field, they seem to kind of crumble because of this call. And I think that's a bad sign for them because this is, yes, it's a bad call. Yes, it's some adversity, but you have too many veterans to just sort of let the game drift away from you because they were all over Gotham. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were on course. If you told me in that moment, before the VAR call, if you told me, how's this game going to go? Is it going to go um, more like the Portland-Orlando game? Um, or is it going to be more even? I would have said, I, if you made me bet, I would have said probably more like Portland-Orlando. Um, Gotham looked lost. Um, they were in trouble. The call shouldn't, shouldn't, Angel City shouldn't lose their way so dramatically after the call. And that, I think, if I'm an Angel City fan, I'm a little alarmed by that because that shouldn't, that's not a week one problem. Um, if you're having a terrible season, that's a thing that can happen down the road in like game 17. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're having a bad year, your confidence is so fragile. One bad thing, it becomes, it kind of cascades from there. This is week one. There's no reason for them to have that lack of belief. So that's to me a little, a little worrisome for Angel City. Um, on the flip side, good for Gotham that, um, in games like this last year, they'd have found a way to lose, frankly. Um, they did that a lot. And in this game, I think they even sort of sensed that Angel City lost their way. Um, I think Juan Carlos Amoros had them start to take more chances in the second half than they were. In the first half, they were really conservative. I think after halftime, they started to sense there's an opening here. Um, so let's go for it a little bit more than we were. And they they get the reward. So that's a... It's a big plus for Gotham um, and a big negative for Angel City in a couple of different ways, though. Again, I 
I, I hope NWSL fans have some patience with VAR because this is not how it's supposed to go. And I feel bad because it's, it feels like I brought a guest to the party and the guest immediately like spilled a drink um, <laughs> just as soon as they walked in. And um, I'm like, this is not a person that just goes around knocking things over. I don't know what's happened here with them, but this is not how they normally conduct themselves. And I feel like it reflects badly on me as a person coming from some experience with this. So I hope that the next ones or well, we had one later in the game. Um, I hope that the next ones are at least not this dramatically off base because I feel like they just got this one wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'll have to take your word for it in the immediate future um, because it, I agree the broadcast. I mean, it wasn't anything too obvious, but we, you know, the broadcast really didn't show much. Um, so that said, though, Gotham had another. Uh, VAR review go their way so they I think thinking about Angel City sort of losing this game a little bit mentally after that first goal was disallowed or the second goal disallowed rather um, when the penalty was was awarded to Gotham I think that Angel City saw another mental shift Um, maybe I I think how many players were red were yellow carded on that play was it three for dissent uh, I actually have this written down <laughs> they um, were very up in arms so about it they got it was two um okay. got a yellow then Heritage got one for the foul um it's just that like two minutes before that Allie Riley had been booked for a different unrelated situation so it's like just like a series of yellow cards back to back to back yeah so Angel City definitely was having a rough go they did not like that penalty call that Mitch Purse ultimately buried um mm. was that a better use of VAR in your opinion or still on the fence there? Uh, I'll say I'm on the fence on that one only because Mm -hmm. I think it's such a close call that I feel like you can argue in either direction. Um, Christy Mewis immediately thought it was a foul. Um, Didi Heracic looks up at the, you can watch on the broadcast, she looks up at the screen, she sees the replay and immediately becomes more mad than she was um, (laughs) because she thinks the same, the same image is exonerating her. Um, I assume, again, I think what we got on the broadcast was a little lacking. I think this is something that the league and their broadcast partners have to step that up because part of the reason MLS VAR is less of a painful experience is that we get the visual information as to what's being looked at and we get good angles um, that help uh, the the broadcast teams get even more angles than the TV uh, actually shows. And so they can talk through some of the things that are missing um, in this instance. I don't think we got that, um, but I think this one's closer to a foul certainly than the foul on the endo goal. Um, so I think it's bad luck for angel city, but I also think if you're Gotham, it does look like there's contact on um, Goodman's daughter's trailing leg. Um, maybe there's a little bit of, well, I feel the contact. Let me, let me make sure that I get something out of this play because if I don't, it's just a chance that's gone awry. Um, mm-hmm. But this one I, I'm less upset about. If you're an Angel City fan, I'm sure you feel differently. Um, but, you know, if you let a game get out of hand like this and you end up with forwards coming into the box, going one-on-one with your goalkeeper, this is a thing that can happen. Um, it does not take much from that point to concede a foul. So um, that one is more normal i would say um Mm -hmm. but again i i feel like i still feel like we need more information from the broadcast itself and that's not on the announcing crew i think that's 
it might not even be on the broadcaster itself. They might not be getting the requisite number of images and angles that they're supposed to have. Um, that's an unanswered question that maybe maybe some of us in the media need to be digging on because there is something different from the MLS experience from what information we get to then contextualize this stuff. And I feel like for this week, at least, we just didn't have a lot of information to work with. That's Yeah, that's what it felt like for sure. And I'm looking forward to next week to see if there's any more VAR drama. I hope less drama and more being able to see exactly what happened. <laughs> yes. Um, but I am almost positive that things will even out and Gotham won't get all the luck and Angel City won't be unlucky all the time. That's usually how it plays out. <laughs> Sometimes. You never know. I mean, there is, I will say, there's an element of 2021 Gotham to this this particular game where... Ooh, that's a good comparison or analogy, rather. Yeah, because they kind of get away with it a little bit. They get mm-hmm. the points without convincing, um, which last year... Every time they even came close to convincing, they still, the bad thing happened to them. It was just, they could not get away with anything last year. This year, I feel like they got away with one in a way that reminds me, it's not the Gotham force field. It wasn't that. Um, It's a new version of that. But um, uh, for that team to get a win after, I think it was, what, 13 straight to end the year without winning? um, Something like that. Right. For them to finally win a game, um, I'm sure for them, it's like, it doesn't matter. Uh, we won. This is what we needed. Um, but yeah, they will need to, to play better. And I, I expect them to progress from there. Um, Juan Carlos Amoros, I think his his approach didn't look completely bedded in yet um, compared to what his Houston team looked like. Um, there's not as much high pressing from Gotham. They really mid block and even low block at times, um, which is a classic road game for a team that hasn't fully gotten comfortable playing high pressing on the road. Um, it was a little bit of survival soccer, which is, is I think a savvy decision. It's not super entertaining, um, but I think they'll also, they'll be like the spirit. They'll become a better team to watch as they get more um, adjusted and comfortable with playing the way that Amaros wants them to play. Yes. Hopefully they win more games this season in that system than they did last year. I mean, the bar is low. They're already 25% of the way there. With their wins. congratulations, Gotham. <laughs> um, the, I I do hope for the good of everyone that they pass that bar. It's not good for the league when there's one team that's just so much worse than the others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not good for anyone. So um, it is good to see them having a confidence building win after all the changes they had for them to then come in and just get clobbered would have been. Um, it might have sort of brought them back to the feeling of 2022 all over again, and and. That's that's not really helpful for anyone. It's true. That's true. So on that note, I think that's a good uh, place to stop. So I just want to thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And also thanks, Jason, of course, for joining me to recap the first of many NWSL weekends. Anytime. So we'd like to give a special thank you to our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast, and our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. For The Equalizer, I'm Ariana Cascone, and we'll be back soon with more on The Equalizer Podcast. Equalizer.